Hello, and welcome to In the News. I am Crystal Carmen Stevens, and I am your host. And today, in studio, we have Father Bill Weary. Father, how are you? Always good to be in the studio. That's sort of optimal. All those Zoom works, but this is nice. Thank you. And welcome uh, to our show, everybody out there. Thank you. Father, I'd like to start today off with... Uh, a little talk about travel. The Pope went to Mongolia, the first ever papal visit to Mongolia. How about that? Yes, and I love the article you sent me by John Allen uh, on the Crooks, the Crooks a news now. platform. And he's a former writer for the National Catholic Reporter, Kansas City. Uh, newspaper was never that crazy about. Um, they were sort of, shall we say, used to be very adversarial with um, Cardinal Ratzinger, later Benedict XVI, and with uh, hmm. even even uh, John Paul II and their regime. I think they're very happy now with Pope Francis. Uh, they're still publishing, I believe, but he's not with them anymore. Wrote a great article on the history of uh, the church in Mongolia, and I really loved it. And he talked about the, the first incursion of the Catholic faith to Mongolia was in 1245. Mm -hmm. 1247, where a, a Franciscan friar by the name of Father John of Plano Carpini, uh, representing Pope Innocent IV, went to see the Khan, the Guyuk, um, of Mongolia there, and with two goals in mind. Number one, evangelization and to turn Mongolia Catholic. Mm -hmm. That's what he wanted. And number two, to get the Mongolians to lay off of Western Europe because they were invading a lot, a lot, of, a incursions. lot of raids and in, 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 incursions into in, into various countries. I mean, France and Germany and you, you name it. The Mongols were vicious, mm -hmm. very aggressive, and this is some generations after Genghis Khan. Um, and um, so, anyway, he was he failed, uh, as the article points out. He, he was not successful on, on either point. Yes, and the. Uh, the Khan sent him packing with a letter, uh, not agreeing to either point. Matter of fact, saying that the Christians should submit to him, the Khan. And so that did not work out well. Um, and he wrote a book about it, that priest. Um, 12, in 1247, he left. He was there two years. Yes. And he wrote a book called The History of the Mongols, which I imagine is available, I don't know, in English. Uh, it would be fascinating. And the, the very... Chapters that he writes about in the book are some of the, here are some of the titles of their of the chapters uh, their worship of God those things which they consider sins divinations and purifications funeral rites food war battle array and arms cruelty to captives those were some of the chapter titles of the book. I would really like to I read would really that like book. to he read did that a, book. He did a good job, this priest, and just and he was not that crazy about the Mongols either. He, he, there were aspects about them uh, that he, but he, there, there were some virtues that he admired as well, their, their honesty and returning stolen goods that was part of their uh, ethos. Mm -hmm. And um, But he kind of he kind of left a failure, but I like uh, John Allen's take on it, the Pope's trip Mongolia kind of ratifies Father John Plano Caprini's uh, efforts. Uh, so, he, so Alan sort of presented it as, hey, the guy's not a failure. 
he set, he set the groundwork um, seven, eight hundred years ago. Um, he set the groundwork, and now it's come to fruition. And I like that take on it. I really like that take on it. So I like the I. fact that it, <clears throat> it, 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 it's a story that, it, much like our faith, it, it doesn't end. Right. You know? Yes. And what seems like failure a lot of times in God's plan is not. Mm-mm. God will flip it. And, and in the eyes of the world, you can seem like a failure yes. at times. But then God, you know, seeds below the soil. But what an opportunity for our Pope to be able to go to Mongolia, wow. which is situated, you know, between China and between Russia, places that need right now to hear his voice. Three, 3.5 million people. And 1,500 Catholics. Wow. Do you believe I it? I can't believe it. And the Pope would go. What a what a great gesture. What a what a great a thing to do. I mean, again, in the eyes of the world, so he's not thinking. He's thinking as God does, not as man. Mm-hmm. Not as man does. A lot of you know managers, uh, CEOs would not even bother with with that sort of thing. But the Pope goes to uphold those people and to open up a, a communication and not to uh, not to proselytize. But to and he had very you know good things to say about nearby China. He had very good things and Russia. He had good and, things to say and, about and, and Russia and he, and he opened that Mercy Center. I believe it was yes. called. Yes, it's a, ch- a charity a center for the poor. Yes, and all that and a three story building that um, he inaugurated and blessed. So God bless him. God bless him. It's just a it's a nice reminder that the church is universal. Yes, forty some trips now he has made this man. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, and it, a lot of times he's in a wheelchair. A lot of the times, being pushed around. That's all right. I and was blown away, and by his trip to um, uh, where did he go? He went to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Was that where he went? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I thought that that was an amazing trip, and to see him go and make this even more arduous journey. Yes, that that is true, and um, it was very good. And so he's to be he's to be commended for this. His his pastoral sense is just exemplary. And so, uh, more power to him. While we're speaking about Pope Francis, I hope you got the other article that I sent you about him writing. He's dedicating a pas- He's dedicating an apostolic letter to Saint Teresa of Lisieux in yep. October. And I want to ask you a question. Um, firstly, can you, for our, our listeners, define what is an apostolic letter? An, ap- an apostolic letter. There's a di- different levels mm-hmm. of documentation. Uh, encyclicals being um, up there high. Uh, apostolic constitutions. And an apostolic letter would be a lower level of of, of doc, documentation and of uh, may, may I say doctrine uh, that would be reserved for something like this, you know, talking up a saint. It's not encyclicals are usually dealing with big issues, doctrinal doctrinal issues, apostolic constitutions, as well. But this is uh, you know very appropriate, uh, just uh, just a letter. Um, of course, an encyclical is like a, a circular letter, but but a circular letter, but on a very high level. This would be this would be a lower um, lower level. You know, lowest of all would be something like a press conference <laughs> or something like something like that, um, or even a, um, a, a homily. I'm a little partial because I was just gifted a relic of Saint Teresa. Were you really? Yeah. So How about that, what do you know? I just wanted to bring her up so our listeners could. I don't know. Maybe if you don't know about her, learn about her and about read her. her book. Yeah, story of a soul. She died at 24 years of age in a Carmelite, con- a strict contemplative cloistered Carmelite convent. And here we go. Here, here we go again. How God works. Uh, d- dying uh, anonymous, anonymously, not known to the world at all, mm-hmm. but leaving this book behind that she wrote under obedience mm-hmm. because uh, she had uh, two sis- 
biological sisters. Two biological sisters who with were her. in that in the convent uh, with her, and one of which was a superior who ordered her to write this because they could see that there was something very special about her, and so that became a spiritual classic. Just one book named by was it Paul the Sixth or maybe John Paul the Second as a doctor of the church, yes. which usually is reserved for for saints who are voluminous, prolific mm -hmm. authors. This is just one book. And there's been a lot of ink spilled on commentary on, on that. That theologians get so much richness out of story of a soul. It's a short book. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can do it almost in one in one sitting. Maybe two if you're like me, three yeah. or four. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it's it's a great way for um, for people like myself to learn about the little way, just doing the, the things that way. you do, That's right. but doing them filled with love. You know, yeah. drink of water, drink drink your glass of water, but drink it with love and Sweet offer that up to the Lord. Yep. With love. Yes. You know, chores and everyday tasks. Exactly. Pick it's up that litter with love. Yeah. And it's very gospel. I mean, it's not new revelation or anything like that, but there's so much we can get out of the faith. And, and she certainly did that, you know, to dig down deep in, in, in mine and, and to bring out, extract these jewels and gems from the faith, like a little way. Yes. Thank you, St. Teresa of Lisieux. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> now, I sent you a third article. Did you get that? Uh-huh. Okay. That was the state of, I was at, what, what is the state? The st uh, uh, it was a state in our union. That, refresh my memory here. State in our union that has upheld, I think we were just talking about it, actually. Was that, Tex was that the Texas article that I sent Yeah, you? that's right. You sent yes. that to me. The Texas article. So, Texas has made it illegal to perform gender surgery That's on it. children. Yes. Well, this is a uh, this is a step in the right direction. I'm telling you what, the American Civil Liberties Union is very upset, and they're the ones who tried to stop the law, appealed to the Texas uh, uh, Texas court, um, and um, the Texas court is the Texas Supreme Court um, overruled a decision from the lower Travis county district court which would have prevented the law from going into effect which i think is today today yes what i don't understand about this thought process it seems to be overwhelmingly taking over people is why you would do unnecessary surgeries on children yeah like why why would you it's the lgbtq lgbtq agenda and uh, it's, very, it's very strong. By the law, doctors are prohibited from performing genital surgery on minors as a means to facilitate a gender transition. This, present, this prevents, I'm reading from the Catholic News, yeah. News Agency article, this prevents any sterilization procedures such as surgeries that would remove, um, and listeners, I'm going to get a little bit graphic here. I'm sorry, but I got to because uh, it's a reality and, and it's with us. That would uh, any any surgery that would remove the child's genitals and replace them with prosthetic genitals that resemble those of the opposite sex. So the law prevents that, which is very good. Uh, the law also pro prohibits the removal of of healthy breasts and any other. This is for minors now, and for uh, any other non-diseased and healthy part of the body when meant to facilitate a gender transition. Doctors are also prevented, prohibited from prescribing puberty blockers or any other drugs 
to delay the normal development of puberty. Now, I do think that we have to say that as Catholics, we are very, very, very anti um, the mutilation of children. Mutilation, well, the mutilation of the body. The body is sacred. Yeah. You know, the, the human body is, is sacred. And I'm reading John Paul II's Theology of the Body right now. I'm, I'm, I'm reading the original documents. And transgender was not even on the radar no, that was... at all when he was doing this. But when you read his stuff, the you know, over and over again, the sanctity of the body and the beauty of the complementarity between the male and the female and, and how that is God, God-centered, God-engendered. Uh, so it also prevents doctors from prescribing estrogen or testosterone treatments that would give the patient higher levels. Now, I hate to interrupt you, Father, but unfortunately, we have to pause for a station break. Thank you for listening to End of News, and we'll be right back after this. in the news. I'm Crystal Carmen Stevens with Father Bill Weary. Father, today you had a very interesting day and I'm hoping that you can okay. enlighten us and tell us a little bit about it. Well, I would love to. Uh, it was a ecumenical dialogue day uh, between Catholic clergy and Eastern Orthodox clergy. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the Eastern Orthodox are the closest to us. Uh, they're, they split off from the Catholic Church in 1054 AD. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were, before that, we were more or less, it was more or less one church. There were earlier split offs and heresies, but this was a major split right down the middle, east and west, to be lamented. They were both um, claiming the power of Rome, right? Constantinople well, and Rome. Well, here's what happened. Tell me. Here's what happened. And they were centered in the, the second largest diocese of that time, which is Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Patriarch of Constantinople being number two after the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. And they, they was, there was always tension between the two. What happened was in the West, we added to the creed, uh, the Nicene Creed mm-hmm. that we say at Mass. And check it out next time you recite it at, at Mass. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The Aphilio. Filioque. 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 Uh, and that was the, that was the early version, and the and the West began adding, I guess, under the authority of the Pope, uh, the words and the Son mm-hmm. added. Uh, so the Holy Spirit proceeds from the, the Father, Father and the Son. In Latin, uh, the word is it's, it's actually one word, filioque. Filioque. Uh, the Q U E is um, an and. You can tag on to a word and make it and, uh, and so and. And the son, the East objected and said, "You can't change the creed without an ecumenical general church council." Uh, and it was done once. Uh, there was amendments made to the Nicene Creed, which was composed around 325 A.D. Council of Nicaea, and then 381 A.D. Uh, they added the lines about the Holy Spirit because there was nothing about the Holy Spirit in the first draft. So that was okay. That was at a, that was at the uh, 
another ecumenical council, the uh, first council of Constantinople, actually, uh, 381 A.D. That was okay. But it seemed like the West sort of unilaterally added those words. Okay. Filioque. And they objected, said, no, you can't do that. And the Pope said, well, yeah, I can. And they said, well, no, you can't. And he said, well, yeah, I can. I'm the Pope. And they said, we don't care. <laughs> uh, there has to be an ecumenical general trust council. They were always um, a little bit tense with the uh, the top uh, authority, the despotic, uh, if I may put it that way, uh, uh, power of the Pope uh, unilaterally. Um, and they were more... A con the, the, the East was always more consultative among the patriarchs, among yes. the major uh, dioceses and all that. And so it was a split. That's what did it. T uh, one little word. One little word. Filioque. And, they, and, and, and the West, or the East said, we're not, we're not going along with it. And the, the West said, you have to go along. West meaning Western Europe and headed by the Pope said, you, you have to go along. So no, we're not going along with it. So they excommunicated one another. The excommunications were officially lifted in the 1960s. The official excommunications, although we're still not in communion with one another. Uh, so uh, distinction without a difference. Uh, in the 1960s, when uh, Patriarch uh, Athenagoras and Pope Paul VI uh, met uh, together, I think it was in the Holy Land, I believe it was in Jerusalem, and they officially lifted the excommunications. But it's uh, sort of uh, semantics because we're still not... The Orthodox still do not want to extend communion to us at this time. And you know what? Let me just say, I respect that. I don't, I get, I get Protestants who get upset because they can't receive communion. And when I go to an Orthodox church, I mean, I respect that. I yeah. don't get upset. I will not come up and go. It's my understanding church. that it's by permission of their bishop or something um, like that. I that think is it's my pretty much general. We're, no. we're ready to go into uh, uh, communion with them, but they, they're, they're holding back and... Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I think generally throughout the Orthodox world, uh, there's no intercommunion with Protestants or Catholics. In any case, today, uh, and, and they're so close to us in so many ways, uh, seven sacraments. They do have church authority. They have bishops. Um, and Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox. And so it was um, three Orthodox priests today, and it was um, Father Stephen Vernock, of Christ the Savior, uh, Orthodox, and uh, they were all Russian Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. priests, and that and correctly termed the Orthodox Church of America, which is basically the Russian Orthodox Church in the United States. And Father Stephen Vernock, Christ the Savior Church in Locust Lane in Harrisburg, right across from St. Anne's Byzantine Catholic Church. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. Uh, Father uh, Timothy Hojnicki of Holy Apostles, um, OCA, Russian Orthodox Church on Wurtsville Road, relatively new uh, church there, uh, and um, Cumberland County. And then Father Dan Havelak, uh, retired and attached to Christ the Savior. So, and then it was uh, me and Father James Lease, pastor of St. Catherine Library uh, ch uh, Church in Harrisburg, who's the ecumenical officer for the, for the Diocese of Harrisburg, and, and a couple of other about Catholic priests, not not a big group, not a big. So group what at do all. you what do you talk about? Well, that's a good question. Uh, it was very laid back. It was very uh, Father Lee decided just to. There had not been a. They had been meeting before COVID, mm -hmm. uh, once or twice a month for lunch. I think about once a month, for var for you know for, with various um, a very small group, 
I didn't make those lunches too, uh, too much at all. Um, and any, but I love this. I love the Orthodox churches. <clears throat> and uh, so they would, I don't know what they would do. They would uh, do various topics and uh, discussions and very informal. What's the goal of? Well, the goal is uh, to just good, good relations. I would say just friendly relations. We don't see reunion on a worldwide basis yeah. happening anytime soon. Unfortunately, especially with the Russian Orthodox Patriarch of Moscow, Kirill, who is not really favorable, uh, to, especially with the Ukrainian invasion. Oh, my goodness gracious. The, uh, he's not really favorable toward the Pope and the Catholic Church right now. Pope Francis has, has, has sent some very uh, not real happy things to say to Kirill uh, about, the, uh, about the war. And he's actually he's actually said to Kirill, "Do not be Putin's altar server." Mm. That's it. Ah, ho ho! But he did praise Russian culture. He did, but then he then he walked back on that a little bit. Yeah, just a little. I just saw a headline because he got flack on that. Yeah, he did. He, he got did. flack on that, and and so uh, well, you know what? I get it. I love Russian culture. Tolstoy, I, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Doctor Zhivago, Doctor Zhivago, yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I love, of course, the churches, uh, the monasteries, but all, just also the, uh, yeah, and all those novels you're talking about, right? The, the Russian world, um, I just love it. So I, I, I see where he was coming from, on that. In any case, uh, we had a very nice. Uh, the, the goal is just uh, good, good relations. And it was a very laid-back program today, uh, basically, um, you know, what do you guys want to talk about in the future? Uh, what, uh, Bishop Timothy Sr. showed up? Very nice. And he talked about, uh, Father Lee sort of let off, uh, uh, Bishop Sr. wanted to tell us what, what a Catholic bishop does. So he did uh, talk about that a little bit and, you know, visiting the parishes and the deanery, the deanery meetings that we've had the duties of a bishop. We wound up talking about seminary formation a little bit. I thought it was just FYI, just exchanging. Are they having um, the same shortages in the seminary as yeah, the Catholic uh, churches? Yes, they are, especially in the United States, which is it's like, you know, 1% of the population Orthodox. Mm. We're about 23% of the population Catholic church. They're very small. Uh, in Europe, less so. In the big, you know, metropolitan areas, l l less so. Uh our seminary formation right now after college is seven years. You go seven years to seminary. Wow. Uh, before you're ordained a priest. Now, how or did you guys talk about like um, uh, church uh, attendance numbers? Like, are there, <clears throat> have they recovered since COVID at a rate equal we to? We didn't get into that. You know? They did ask about immigration, about the, you know, Hispanics and um, how are you handling, you know, uh, are you getting a lot of Hispanics? Are you getting a lot uh, with, with the influx coming in? Is that affecting you? And it is a little bit, uh, Bishop Sr. said, um, and he said, you know, again, in the, in the uh, metropolitan areas, like our uh, city areas, like Lancaster, York, Har Har Harrisburg, sure. a, a lot of Hispanics. I brought up the fact that we're also hemorrhaging uh, Hispanics to the evangelicals. Yes, very all, much so. All over the all over Latin America, not just here, but in Latin America as well. And, and, and he agreed to that. So, uh, Bishop Senior said, "Yes, that is that is true." Um, so we are, but we are experiencing the influx with the immigration. So they, they the Orthodox asked about that. Very few Hispanic Orthodox. That that was going to ask. No, 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 no Hispanic not, not Orthodox. Too, not too. 
No, it's you know the Orthodox come from Greece, yes, and Eastern Europe yeah. and Russia, and uh, we asked uh, how are their bishops chosen? Where do they cho choose the bishops from? I don't know if everybody knows, but all, all three Orthodox priests at the meeting were married with mm -hmm. children, with with several children, and uh, just um, because two of the priests were very young and uh, three or four children, Father Stephen and Father Timothy. Um, and Father Dan, um, who is retired, said he's got four grandchildren, so they're allowed to marry um, if they if they're married before ordination. Oh, before ordination. Before, they have to be married before ordination. If they're single, when they're ordained, they have to stay celibate. Yeah. All right. So the bishops are chosen from among the rank. The bishops are always un unmarried; they're celibate. So the bishops are chosen from the ranks of the unmarried, either widowers or abbots and monks from the monasteries. That's fascinating. Yes. Never knew that. And then we talked about the monasteries, how, how many monasteries are there, Orthodox monasteries. All right. Father, I hate to interrupt you, but we are down to our last okay. minute. I want to take this minute to say thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, sure. This Glad has been fantastic. It. Yeah. Thank you, producer Joe Nebostinsky, whose name I probably didn't say correctly, but I try. And I'm Crystal Carmen Stevens, and I say thank you for listening to In the News. God bless you. Oh, Father, please lead us out with a prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, once again, we ask your blessings upon us. Bless all the listeners, everybody who's at the radio or at the computer. Lord, bless each and every one. Keep them listening. Send us forth into the world, Lord, to change everything for the better by your grace. Through Christ our Lord, and may Almighty God bless you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.